MoneyWeb now on the money. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. I'm chatting with Rory Kutuske Jacobson. He's fund manager, Alan Gray, Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Rory, appreciate the early time today. 2023, a good year for Frontier Markets, or perhaps more specifically for the fund that you, with your colleagues, run and operate. That's correct, yeah. So I think overall, Frontier Markets didn't do particularly well last year, especially if you compare it to markets like the US. But within that, I mean, we're active managers. We deviate quite meaningly from the benchmark, and our fund did relatively well. And you make a point in a recent note you set out that it is around sort of being contrarian, and that's how you get rewarded. You want to hold different positions from that benchmark. Yes. So we were obviously active bottom-up fundamental analysts. Mm. And from our experience, where do those opportunities come from? It comes from inefficiency in the market. And I think frontier markets are particularly prone to being inefficient for two reasons. The first one I would say is prejudice. So a lot of people, you know, it's foreign languages, foreign cultures. When you hear about some of these markets, people almost kind of immediately just roll their eyes and look away. And the other one is, I guess, related is ignorance for the same kind of reason as people don't really understand these markets particularly well and therefore don't even bother looking at which creates a lot of opportunity for people that are willing to do the work. And you make the point there that you're very much bottom-up. This isn't a top-down macroeconomic because some of the markets that you operate, that you're investing into, a top and a scale one, it's around the individual stocks very much. That's correct, yeah. So I think one great example over the last two, three years, not that you ever want to benefit from war. Mm. I mean, we've been analyzing some of these markets for the last six or seven years, and we understood the Georgian and Kazakhstani stocks relatively well. And then obviously, Russia invaded Ukraine. And so if you rewind the clock to kind of March, April, May 2022, we thought those markets were already relatively cheap, but then they got absolutely smashed. And anything kind of surrounding Russia got sold off aggressively. And so we looked at these markets and we said, well, you know, Here you can find some really attractive, high-quality businesses that have very strong market shares. In particular, we bought some of the banks in Mm. both Kazakhstan and Georgia. And you could buy them at that point in time on incredibly low multiples. We're talking, you know, as low as kind of one and a half to three times earnings. And so even if you assumed, we said, well, look, there's obviously going to be a very negative knock-on effect for these economies. And let's assume GDP contracts and those banks have declined in earnings of 15 20%. Even then, you're paying such a low price, you're being compensated for that. And actually what transpired, which is not something that we anticipated, was indirectly those economies benefited because a lot of people from Ukraine and Russia relocated, more so to Georgia than Kazakhstan. And a lot of trade in the region that historically went through Russia was redirected to both those markets. So actually, Georgia and Kazakhstan have both been growing very healthy, kind of positive GDP in the last years. And so the bank's earnings have grown 20, 30 percent. And so over the last 18 to 24 months, you've seen significant growth in underlying earnings and you've seen a slight improvement in the rating that the market is putting on those shares. So that kind of drove a lot of the performance we had in our fund. In terms of finding the information, you know, I'm thinking about the JSC, I'm thinking about New York, about London, where there's just a ton of information. And truthfully, perhaps that actually makes it harder because everyone's got all that information. I mean, how is it easy to find data and reliable data on, for example, banks in Georgia or, you know, pharmaceutical companies in in Bangladesh? Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. It's a challenge. So it's a lot harder to find kind of granular detail and maybe something more detail about, you know, market share and independent opinions. That being said, I mean, 
So there's a lot of companies we don't invest in just because if, if they're sufficiently small or they report only in Vietnamese or they report only in another foreign language, then it's very difficult for us to get a, yeah. a grip on their financials. But you know, most companies who want to appeal to international investors, so typically if your market cap is greater than two, three hundred million dollars, they start reporting in English. That helps it a lot. So for example, the Georgian banks, actually both of the ones we're invested in, in TBC Bank and Bank of Georgia, they have primary listings on the LSE in London. Okay. And so all of their reporting is in English and they have to adhere to LSE standards in terms of requirements. So, and then Halleck Bank, which is the bank we invested in, in in Kazakhstan, they've got a global depository receipt. They also report in English. These kind of idiosyncrasies make it interesting, but also exciting. One of the other examples is the Egyptian market. Yeah. They do report in English, but often the English reports come out two, three, four months after the... <laughs> the Arabic ones. For that purpose, we have to hire a guy who can, who can read a bit of Arabic <laughs> and we've got one or two analysts who can read a bit of French. That does help, but it, it is a challenge. And are you investing? Because it suddenly occurs to me, there's a currency risk here as well. Now, if you can get it on the LSE or an ADR, that kind of removes the quotient. But how do you manage currency risk? Or is that more just about position sizing? That's exactly right. It's about position sizing. And there's two elements of currency risk. So the first one is obviously just the movement in the currency. Mm -hmm. But the second one is actually, which you alluded to, is whether you invest in that country or if you invest outside that country. So if I take Nigeria as an example, there's a company called Seplat, mm -hmm. which is one of the oil majors in Nigeria, but they listed both in London and in Nigeria. But if you bought the shares in Nigeria, you would be subject to capital control. So it's not that easy at the moment to get your money in and out of Nigeria. Whereas if you bought it on the London Stock Exchange, you can quite easily sell it for sterling, but you still are indirectly experiencing the massive variations in currency. And so how do we think about it is we have a big focus on kind of overall country exposure. So as much as we're bottom-up fundamental analysts, we also have like kind of a macro overlay and we say, well, what is the maximum exposure we're comfortable going at in this country given just the macro risks and all the risks around that currency? When we typically value companies, we try as much as possible to value them in U.S. dollars. And so we look at the history of the currency, we look at the history of capital controls, and we say, you know, we think, let's, for example, say this company can grow at 15% per annum in Naira, but we think the Naira is 30-40% overvalued, yeah. then we would discount those earnings and say, well, actually in dollars then, they're not going to grow earnings for the next few years, and or we think the earnings in dollars will be two or three or four percent if you assume a 10 or 11 percent depreciation in the currency over the next four years. Gotcha. Okay. So a whole bunch of different sort of quirks around the frontier markets. We'll leave it there. It's Rory Kiskega Jacobson. He is fund manager, Alan Gray, Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Appreciate the time. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.